Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located just off of Highway 377, behind where they're building the new Longhorn Townhomes next to Pates Hardware. We hope to be able to meet with you this morning and pray with you and worship with you. A lot of people ask us, why do you meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce? Well, we meet there while we build our new worship facility, which will be located at 599 Sunrise Drive in Early. That new worship facility is well under construction and on its way to completion. We hope to move into that new worship facility sometime this summer. Also, I'd like to let you know about a resource we have for you, point2life.wordpress.com. That's our church's official blog, point2life.wordpress.com. There you can find devotional thoughts, theological teachings, and information on LifePoint Baptist Church. LifePoint Baptist Church, Early Texas. Turn with me, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 6. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now in Zechariah chapter 6, the prophet Zechariah is prophesying to the people living in Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Now, we've been studying this for the past several weeks here on The Point. Uh, what, what happened in the book of Ezra and the book of Zechariah and the book of Haggai is that the people who had been taken away into captivity in Babylon were now slowly, little by little, returning to the land of Israel and returning to Jerusalem. The Babylonian captivity was God's judgment for years of idolatry. The nation of Israel had committed idolatry for generations, and throughout those generations, God told and warned the people of Israel and the people of Jerusalem that if they did not repent from their idolatry, that he would bring up a nation that would take them into captivity, and that he would judge them in doing that. And the people didn't heed the warnings. The people didn't turn away from idolatry. They continued in idolatry, even though God warned them to stop or they would be taken into captivity. Now, when we talk about idolatry, We need to get it out of our heads that this is simply a simple act of burning an incense candle to a statue. The idolatry in Old Testament times, in ancient times, was actually a pretty wicked practice. It involved sexual immorality. It involved child sacrifice. In in some cases, there were cases that sexual assault took place as a part of these idolatrous worship practices. So we're not talking about having a little gold Buddha statue on a shelf or burning an incense candle here. When we talk about idolatry, we are talking about two things. One, we're talking about worshiping a God that doesn't exist. And two, we're talking about worshiping that God that doesn't exist by creating horrific, immoral, degradating 
acts on themselves and on each other. And so there was a lot of wickedness in the land of Israel. And wickedness usually follows when you turn away from God anyway. But when you start engaging in this kind of idolatrous worship, then wickedness really goes all over the place. And so after several generations of this going on and God saying repent and the people not repenting, God allowed the Babylonian empire to conquer Israel and to take the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel captive and to take them back to Babylon as servants. And as they were preparing to go into captivity and as the captivity began and all throughout the captivity, God was still speaking to the Israelites saying that he was still with them and that he would use that captivity to transform them and to redeem them. And then after the 70 years was up, which is where we are in the scriptures today, the people began to return to the land. Returning to Jerusalem, they found their city in ruins and they had to rebuild. They had to rebuild not only the city, but the temple of God. And that project got a huge kickstart when King Cyrus of Persia decreed that the temple should be rebuilt and he he allocated some resources to do that. And so what's been happening in the book of Zechariah and in the book of Ezra is the people have been rebuilding the temple. And the first thing they did when they rebuilt the temple was to rebuild the altar. And as we studied on this several weeks ago, when they rebuilt the altar, that symbolized their redemption. They were, their, their first act of worship was to praise God and to worship him for their redemption. And we talked about redemption and what that means. It means to be forgiven. It means to be cleared of debt. It means to be restored to the position in God's fellowship that he intended on you being. And we talked about why that's the single most important thing that God has done for us is to redeem us. And this redemption applies to you when you turn from your sins and you trust Jesus Christ as your personal savior. So they built the altar and they began worship. They went back to their Old Testament style of worship to sacrificing the animals, to offering the sin offerings, to observing the Passover, the festival of booths. They went back to doing all of that while construction on the temple continued. Now, after they built the altar, the next thing that they built was the foundation. They laid the foundation to the temple. And when they laid the foundation to the temple, when the people gathered to see the unveiling of the foundation, you had some that were celebrating and they were shouting for joy. These are the younger people that didn't remember life in Jerusalem before the captivity. So they are seeing progress and they're excited. Then you had the older Israelites there that some of these older men could still remember the old temple and the splendor of the old temple. And when they saw that foundation, they thought it was too small. They didn't think that the temple would have the same splendor as the old temple because of how small the foundation was. And so they began to weep. But the noise was so great in Jerusalem that you couldn't tell the weeping from the celebration. And so the progress is moving forward, uh, for better or worse, the progress is moving forward. They are rebuilding the city. They are working to get the wall rebuilt. They have rebuilt the altar at the temple. Now they're going to rebuild the temple itself. And there's a lot of celebration. Now this raises a problem because as the Israelites are returning to Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the city. They are rebuilding the temple. There are great times happening. There are people who are living in the land who were relocated to that land by the Assyrians about 100 years prior, and maybe a little bit longer than that, and they have come to enjoy living in the land, and they see the Israelites rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, 
and they see that there is trouble afoot because if the Israelites rebuild the temple and God is with them and they rebuild the city and God is with them, then for the people of the land, that means that they may have to wind up being relocated at some point, and they don't like that. And so they begin to fight against the Israelites. They begin to conduct raids. They begin to oppress the Israelites. And then they send a letter to King Artaxerxes saying, hey, listen, these guys are rebuilding so they can rebel against you. And when Artaxerxes got that letter, he decreed that construction on the temple should stop. And so the Israelites received the decree from the king to stop rebuilding the temple. And that was a tough day. Here they were. They were getting their land back. They were getting their city back. They were rebuilding their city, and they were rebuilding the temple. They would once again be able to worship God the way that he intended on them worshiping, and they were seeing this great spiritual revival happening in Jerusalem. And then the decree from the king that they had to stop. I mean, how disappointing. Have you ever been in a place where you were working toward a goal, where you were working toward a dream, and you were working, and you were building, and you were striving, and you were moving forward, and you were seeing success, and you were seeing it all come together, and right as you could see that dream accomplished, at once you could see that finish line within sight, the light at the end of the tunnel, as it were, the, um, the completed project just steps down the road, something happened, and it knocked you off course and it interrupted you, it disrupted you, and it suddenly made that dream seem out of reach. You ever suffered a setback? That's exactly what these people were experiencing here. And so Zechariah prophesies about this, and he spends a few chapters in this regard in dealing with the setback that Israel was experiencing. And so in Zechariah chapter 4, in verse 6, we see the the prophecy that he gives. He says in verse 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. And so this is Zechariah prophesying the word of the Lord to the people, saying basically, that the construction of the temple would be completed not by might, not by military or brute force, and not by power, not by authority, not by kings, not by great leaders, but by the Spirit of God. God would make this happen. Just as God had stirred the spirit of Cyrus to issue the decree to rebuild the temple, God would stir the hearts of the right people to see the temple finished. And that Zerubbabel who laid the foundation of the temple, would also be the one to complete the foundation of the temple, which means that the people who saw that foundation would see the completed temple in their lifetime. You see, setbacks are a part of life. We suffer setbacks all the time. We suffer physical setbacks. You know, you're, I mean, you you think about an athlete who is trying to, a high school athlete who wants to get discovered by a college and get a college scholarship to go play ball or 
college athlete who's wanting to get discovered by NFL scouts and to go play ball for the NFL scouts. If you, if you, if you think in terms of that, or you think about somebody who's just trying to be healthy and maintain a healthy lifestyle, and oftentimes there's a physical setback. The athlete suffers an injury. The person who is trying to live a healthy lifestyle or who is trying to recover their their health gets diagnosed with diabetes or with thyroid cancer or or suffers an injury or, or something along those lines. You know, we, we, we experience physical setbacks. We experience career and financial setbacks as well. You know, folks who are working to build a career and they are trying to uh, advance and climb the corporate ladder and, and they are doing some good things in the office. They are making some sales. They are doing some pretty good moves and the bosses are noticing and the promotion is on the way and then all of a sudden their company consolidates or merges with another company or there's a corporate sell-off or there's or the CEO in, in New York uh, orders a reduction in force and massive layoffs and that person gets caught up in all that. They wind up being laid off or their position gets downgraded in the merger or when there is a merger, the guy who did the same job from the other company is the one who gets the promotion. You know, I mean, I've I've been a part of radio stations in the past that have been bought out and that totally turns your career upside down. And so... You know, you, you experience career setbacks, financial setbacks. You know, you had some money in, in your 401k and you had invested some, and all of a sudden the stock market crashes. You were investing in real estate and the real estate bubble burst. I mean, financial setbacks. You know, we, we experience these. And maybe the healthcare crisis, the healthcare setback created a financial setback. You know, the, the, the cost of treatment and the cost of medical care wipes you out financially. And then we have spiritual setbacks. And this is where you are walking in the presence of the Lord. You are living the Christian life. You are praying. You are spending time in your Bible every day. And then something happens. Maybe you get too busy. Maybe there's a personal crisis or something. And you fall out of that devotional routine and you wind up in a spiritual hard place with God. And maybe you wind, and I've known people that have actually wound up angry with God, and they've actually wound up uh, struggling with God over certain issues. And so you have spiritual setbacks. And so setbacks are a part of life. And what I want to talk about today is how to work through those setbacks and to continue to move forward through those setbacks without losing your faith and without losing your fellowship with God. You see, in Zechariah chapter 4, the people had experienced that setback of having the construction of the temple halted. And that setback was very discouraging. But in Zechariah chapter 4, God delivered a message of encouragement. He continued to promise spiritual revival in Jerusalem. He promised that they would see the temple rebuilt. And all of this was part of a larger promise that God would restore the kingdom to Israel. When you suffer a setback, remember that God has given your life purpose and that he will actively work in your life to keep you moving forward. There's a Bible verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we all know Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 that says, For it is by grace through faith that you are saved, and not of yourselves, this is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And most of the time we quit reading right there, but if we keep reading, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, God created us 
to good works. He created us to do good things. He created us to do great things. He created us to honor and glorify him through doing those great things. I mean, the life you live and the way you approach life and the things that you do honor and glorify God if they are within the will of God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, to let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, God created us to do good things, to do great things. Now, that doesn't mean that God created us all to be massive Christian rock stars who pack football stadiums and lead millions to salvation every single night. God has called some people to that ministry. But the great things and the good things that you do oftentimes are done in your own personal life, in your own circle of friends and family. The woman who spends her entire life raising kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, teaching them about Jesus, nurturing their hurts, uh, preparing them for school, and giving them the love and confidence they need to take on this world, she is doing great things for God by raising those children that way. You take the man who works... A, he works a 10-hour day, day in and day out, and he does everything he can to provide for his family and to make sure that those kids have a safe place to live and to grow up, and, and he gives them the confidence and the know-how to advance into the world as adults. He's doing great things for God. The man who doesn't have a family, but he is a he is a good man. He, he encourages those around him. He at work, he's the guy that keeps things moving forward and helps you work through the issues that you have at work. Uh, perhaps he's a deacon at the church. I don't know. But even in that scenario where you have an individual who is single who doesn't have an immediate family that they live with, by living their life in that capacity, the way God designed that life to be lived in that capacity, he honors and glorifies God. That's what you were created to do. And when you see that all of this has purpose, that you're not trying to find some cosmic purpose to your life, some little path that you are to follow. But when you see that everything that you have going on in life has purpose, that God created you to do good things, to do great things, to honor and to glorify him, then when you suffer these setbacks, you won't find it as discouraging. You won't see it as the end of the world. It doesn't make the setbacks fun, but you see the per that there is purpose in the setbacks and that God will work you through those setbacks. So to over overcome setbacks, to overcome setbacks, you keep looking forward by looking up. Keep looking forward by looking up. First of all, trust God to work in your situation. Second of all, Know that God will give you the victory. And finally, relish the small victories. Let's talk about trusting God to work. In verse 6, the Bible says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Israel would be restored, Jerusalem would be rebuilt, and the temple would be reopened. This was a promise from God, and that had to have been an encouraging thing to hear, to hear that God was still promising the reconstruction of the temple. And God said that he would bring this about by his spirit. 
this would be miraculous. There would be a divine show of force, a divine show of power. By the time that they finished this, nobody would be able to deny that God's hand was in it. And that's why God said, not by might, not by power, not by their might or power, rather by the spirit of God, the restoration of the temple would take place. God would revive the builders and he would work in the hearts of the kings and the other people to allow this reconstruction project to move forward. You see, God is so awesome that he does not have to use phenomenal cosmic power to overcome. God can lead people. God can direct people. God can stir people's hearts and their souls and their minds to motivate them to do things that they might not otherwise do. And God can redeem. God can take the most wretched man who is doing everything he can to shut you down, and God can redeem him to where suddenly he becomes a great Christian and your best friend. And this is demonstrated in Scripture in Acts chapter 9 when you read about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who ultimately went on to become the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus was going about arresting Christians, throwing them in prison, and he was even going to start traveling the world, going from, from synagogue to synagogue, arresting Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem to face prison time. And on his way, and so all the um, all the Christians were afraid of Saul. They 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 didn't like him. They were afraid of him. They hid from him. And Saul of Tarsus wound up being confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul wound up being saved. Saul wound up becoming a great apostle. That's how awesome God is. He doesn't have to make earthquakes or volcanoes happen. He doesn't have to execute fiery wrath and judgment in order to accomplish his goal. He can take down his enemies from the inside out. Without, and, and, and this is all well within his power and his strength. It doesn't cause a lot of effort on his part. And so no matter what your situation, seeing how awesome God is in this regard, you can trust him to work in your situation. If you are feeling burnt out, God can revive your soul. He can guide the doctors who operate on you. He can give you favor in the sight of people so that they give you opportunity. God can do more than move mountains. He can move people. So if you're suffering a setback this morning and you're trying to figure out how to overcome this obstacle that has been placed in front of you, he told Zerubbabel that the great mountain before him would be made a plain. God is able to work in that situation. Trust him. Pray to him. Seek his guidance. Seek his comfort and watch as he works this situation out for you. So trust God to work in the situation. Secondly, trust God to give you the victory, and God will give you the victory. Verse 7 says, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Mountains in Scripture represent kingdoms, dominions, or governments. And the issue in Zechariah chapter 4 is that the Persian government, that is the king, prohibited the building of the temple. And what God is promising in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 7 is that that government, that king, would soon be removed as an obstacle, not by military conquest, 
but by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God. And then would the temple be rebuilt. In verse 9, God says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. God would be glorified by the building of the temple. And that's why God would give the victory in the building of the temple. He would give the victory so that he would be glorified. You see, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye, then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 was spoken back before the captivity. And in it, God told the Israelites that he would redeem them from the captivity by putting them through the captivity. He would use that captivity to transform them. And so they would go through some tough times, but God didn't have any evil or malicious thoughts toward them. He said thoughts of peace and not of evil. God loved them and wanted the best for them. And so he did what he had to do. You see, God's attitude toward us is not one of maliciousness. It's not one of ill will. God's attitude toward us is one of peace. God's attitude toward us is one of love. God's attitude toward us is one of well intent. God's will, as stated in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 12, is to give us an expected end. And that expected end is an eternity in his kingdom. And so God will do everything it takes to bring us into his kingdom and to mature us and to transform us for entry into his kingdom. And that's why Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose. God is working through all these situations that you face, even the setbacks, to transform you into the person he intended on you being. He works in your situation, and the ultimate end here will be your victory. John fourteen eighteen, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You need not worry about being left out of God's plan. You need not worry about being left destitute and ashamed. You will not be cut off from God's budget. You will not be left disappointed. God will give you the victory. Your faith will be made sight, and your sorrow will be turned to laughter. So trust God to give you the victory. And finally, rejoice in the little things. Now, when those older Israelites saw that small foundation, they cried because they thought that this temple was not going to live up to the hype that the old one did. And they, they were sad that the former glory of the temple would not be restored, but we'd wind up with this smaller version of the temple. But God said in Zechariah chapter four, verse 10, for who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. God would be glorified through the Israelites rebuilding that temple, however smaller it might have been. And God would be glorified by the Israelites staying faithful in their worship at that temple location, regardless of its appearance. The fact that they moved forward and they continued to worship God glorified God. God reminded the people that the small foundation was a victory and a precursor to a big victory. Don't overlook the small blessings of God. They are a token of a bigger promise being fulfilled. And don't feel like what you're doing for God 
and raising your family and living your life and being a glorifying influence for God in your circle, don't feel like that that's too small because God does not despise the day of small things. He's glorified in them. So when you suffer a setback, remember that God is working. Remember that God will give you the victory and delight in those little blessings that God sprinkles along the way. You've been listening to The Point. This is the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church. Life Point Baptist Church meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce, also known as the Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive. That's just off of Highway 377, uh, next to Pate's Hardware, back behind where they're building the new apartments there on Early Boulevard in Early. Just pull in behind there and you'll find our building. We'll have some folding signs out front to point you into the way. We'd love for you to come by and visit with us this morning. Sunday school begins at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m. You can also find us online at point2life.wordpress.com, point2life.wordpress.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash lifepointearly. I hope you have a blessed day today. I look forward to meeting you sometime in the, near, in the near future, but if we don't get to meet you soon, then maybe we'll be able to meet when the Lord reunites us in that heavenly gathering that we will have as we enter into his kingdom. May God bless you. May God keep you will be our prayer.